Welcome and thank you for listening to River Valley Church Fresno's podcast. For more information on us, please log in to our website, rvcfresno.com, or you can find us at the App Store, River Valley Church Fresno. Hey, welcome all of you who are watching our online service today. I want to welcome you. I want to thank you for joining us today uh, as we finish out our series uh, called A Fruitful Life. And like the last several uh, weeks, I've been wearing a local t-shirt. We want to encourage you to support local businesses. We can't wait to see all of our businesses thriving again. And so today I'm wearing a Crestman's uh, shirt. Uh, as many of you know, up there in Shaver, Crestman's was one of the uh, structures that was burnt down. And uh, over at Cup of Joy, they're selling these t-shirts as well as you can go online and buy some coffee. And the proceeds are going to help rebuild that uh, that building up there and that business up there. And uh, we can't wait to see that whole community thriving again. Again, thanks for everyone who's been serving and helping out with all the evacuees. There's still a lot of work to do. And you keep following us on social media, keep checking our emails to find out ways that you can serve. So today we wrap up our series, uh, Fruitful Life. And uh, we're looking at this final characteristic called self-control. Now, I know that many of you don't struggle with that, but perhaps you know somebody that does struggle with self-control. Let me read again what Paul described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 22 of Galatians 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, these characteristics describe the singular fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and it manifests itself in joy and patience and uh, gentleness and all the different nine characteristics, if you would. So things for us to keep in mind when we talk about this fruit in our lives is, first of all, fruit's visible. It's something that people should see. They should see goodness. They should see patience. They should see gentleness from us. Uh, they should see joy in our lives. And this last one, self-control in our lives. Another thing to remember is fruit is to benefit other people. Though this one this week, we receive the benefit of being self-controlled, and yet other people can see its results. But fruit primarily is meant for other people to be blessed and encouraged these same characteristics that we ourselves receive from the Lord himself. And the last one is to remember that it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of self-effort. It's not something that you and I can manufacture on our own. And this last characteristic, I think, is very important for us to understand that it's not something that we can generate. It's generated through a relationship with God. Paul told us in Galatians 5, 16, walk in the spirit. He said to be led by the spirit. He said to live in the spirit. Jesus tells us in John 15, a great passage to meditate on today. He said to abide in him, abide in his word. And that's how fruit grows in our life as we stay connected to him. And so we have to have a right environment for that fruit to grow. Uh, A good climate, if you would, where we're uh, in relationship with the spirit of God, where he's living uh, in our lives and he's 
controlling our lives. We have this, this uh, I guess, mindset that we're pulling out the weeds of sin out of our lives and we're repenting of our sin and we're watering our hearts and nourishing our lives with the word and with prayer, with worship and with fellowship. And that fruit eventually begins to grow in our lives. It will never grow in a flesh sin dominated life. That's what Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 16. So today it's self-control. As we've said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It shows up in our lives with joy, with peace and patience, right? Uh, We would say that joy is love rejoicing. This last one will say it's love resisting. It's love resisting bad things in our life. There's a great proverb that describes, I think, a person who lacks self-control. And it's Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Isn't that amazing in the description that we see in the lives of others? We ourselves have felt it ourselves. When we lack self-control, we are vulnerable to attack and our lives just become chaotic and a big mess. Uh, Our self-control is our first defense against the sinful desires that Paul described as the works of the flesh in verse 19 and 20 and 21 of Galatians. But also, uh, Peter describes it. First Peter 2, he says that our sinful desires, they wage war against our own souls. And so self-control, it's that first line of defense in our lives. It's the last characteristic that is described, and it points us back to the works of the flesh, right, that tempt us. And it's so needed not only to overcome those temptations that we fight against, but also to live out the other characteristics. You've got to have self-control to show what we talked about last week, gentleness. Gentleness being that strength under control. Even though I want to respond differently, I'm going to choose gentleness. You need self-control to be able to live out that characteristic. Same with patience. Many people are ruled by their emotions and they're unable to be patient with people. They can't hold back their anger. What's well, because they lack self-control. Think of an area right now in your life, an area where you struggle in and, and, and to see how self-control could actually change that situation in your life. Actually having self-control. A lack of it, it leads us into sin. It leads us to living out an emotional chaotic mess. It leads us to have poor decisions that will deteriorate our health, both spiritually, physically, also emotionally, um, and certainly, you know, uh, physically. I think that I think that we all understand this last one. It's something we all struggle with, self-control, in it? And it has different kind of levels, doesn't it, right? I think we all know what it feels like to overindulge. We all have that, that moment where we're like, you know what, just one more chip or just one more cookie, right? And uh, in fact, the other night, uh, Tam and I were, uh, I think it was a Friday night, and I came in the kitchen, and, uh, and Tammy, I thought, was going to sleep, and she came in and she said, you know, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm talking to Jake from State Farm. No, I'm just kidding. I said, uh, I-, I was just eating some chips. There's these, uh, Trader Joe's has these um, corn chips with like this Mexican, you know, street seasoning on them. And she said it sounded like there were rats inside of a bag just chomping away. And I came out here, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have one little handful. And then I came out for another. And then I came out for another. Now, that kind of lack of self-control, it maybe give you a tummy ache, right? It might even lead to you physically not, uh, you know, doing well, But there's other areas where there's more severe 
um, uh, drastic, I guess, you know, things that happen in our life, um, results that happen in our life because of our lack of self-control. Might lead to an unhealthy body. It might lead to the destruction of a marriage, a lack of self-control. So what is self-control? It's been defined this way, the governing of one's desires. Another way of saying it is it's an inner strength that enables one to control desires and passions. It's also been referred to as having sound judgment, these, the, the definitions that come from these words self-control. Uh, it gives us the ability, listen to this, to see what we should and shouldn't do, but also the strength to act on it. Not just seeing good from bad, but also good from best. That's what self-control can actually do in a person's life. But we need to understand, it's not willpower. It isn't like, I'm going to try harder. That's not what self-control is. It's not enough to desire to do the right. You've got to have the strength to actually fulfill it. Uh, I think we've all tried to like stop things in our life. Like, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm never going to do this again. And then you try your hardest to never do it again, right? You try your hardest to bite your tongue. You try your hardest to not, you know, go back to that, you know, toxic environment that you used to live in. And, uh, and you fail. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. It's an understanding that um, we, you know, there's a desire there, right, to live for God, but then there's, there's no strength, no power to fulfill it. Paul described it. He said, um, I, I do the things that I do that I, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I end up doing the things that I don't want to do. See, that's this dilemma. And finally, at the end of Romans 7, he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He was describing these inward desires that you cannot curb and control in your own strength. He answers the question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it comes from God himself. As Paul already told us, as we are walking in the spirit, Jesus said, as we abide in him, that ability for you and I to have this God-like quality of restraint and self-control, love resisting, begins to emerge in our lives. And we're able to live out the Christian life the way God has called us to do it. I cannot do it on my own. I need God. It is from God. It's part of the fruit of the spirit as we abide. I love what one quote I read, David Mathis, he said, true self-control is not about bringing ourselves under our own control, but under the power of Christ. For you and I to actually do things that God calls us to do that we are really impossible on our own, to avoid things that uh, we know God is calling us to, to steer away from, we need to say, God, I, in myself, I don't have it. I surrender to you, right? Lord, I can't do this Christian life on my own. I cannot produce these God-like characteristics that we see in the description of the fruit of the Spirit on my own. I have to surrender to God. When we try to do it on our own, when we try in our own willpower to live out the Christian life, frustration sets in because we have desires to honor God, but there's no power to actually do it. Christianity is a self-help kind of, you know, religion, if you would. Like, hey, here's a few other things to add to your life, and then, you know, you've got all the tools you need to be successful. Christianity is about laying your life down every day, dying, and, and saying what Paul said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and died for me. 
It's Jesus Christ coming into my life, this power of the Spirit producing this in my life, and then self-control begins to emerge. You're able to actually fulfill things that God calls you and I to do, to avoid things that God calls you and I to avoid. Practically, it comes as we stay close to him, as we abide in him, as we walk in the Spirit. We're told that it's God's Spirit in our lives that produces this. Uh, Paul said to sec- in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, I love that, not of power, or excuse me, but of power and love, and notice this, and self-control. The spirit of God has come in our life to give us a spirit, not of fear, but of power of love and self-control. And here in Galatians, this final characteristic, it's the fruit of the spirit. We see it in the life of Jesus. You know, Mark chapter 1, we see the, the longest recorded day of Jesus' life. We don't, know, we don't know which day was harder, longer, more ministry, what happened. But in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, we see that he did more in one day, all loaded up in the scriptures. And it says on the very next day, he woke up before, the, before it became light to get away and spend time with the Father. There's that self-control. We all know that feeling of, oh man, I'm so exhausted. I just want to sleep some more. But there's Jesus arising in the morning to spend time with the father that takes self-control we can keep pushing the snooze button and never develop a walk with God oh I just want to have a closer walk with God well you know what you might have to sacrifice a little bit to have a close relationship with God I want to see the fruit of the spirit growing in my life it ain't going to happen doing it on your own you got to spend time with the Lord in prayer we see it in another instance when Jesus was tempted by Satan after 40 days and 40 nights of of uh fasting Satan came to him to tempt him in three ways. And one of the temptations was, since you're the son of God, turn this stone into a piece of bread. Clearly you were hungry. And Jesus says, man did not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In that moment, he would have been yielding to what Satan was offering him. And yet self-control. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He quotes God's word back to Satan. And the last one we see in Luke chapter 23, the many instances Jesus gives us an example of self-control when he's being nailed to the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In those moments, self-control was so needed so that he didn't retaliate over the pain that was being inflicted and by the abuse that was being uh, given to him. And by the way, self-control is one of the first qualities necessary for leadership in the church, according to Paul. In 1 Timothy, we see it also in Titus, self-control, self-control. And then it's implied in the other characteristics that are going on in the lives of the leaders, the men and the women that were going to be leading and serving those churches. Uh, They're to not be given to much wine. They're not to be a drunkard. They're not to be violent. They're not to be quick-tempered. All of these areas of our lives require a level of self-control. So how is it lived out? What does it look like in our lives? There's really three ways that I want to look at it and how it applies to you and I today. And it really, we get these ideas from uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, A Fruitful Life, where he talks about the self-control that God wants to produce in our lives and how it fleshes out in our everyday living. First of all, it's self-control with our body. Your body, our bodies have appetites within them, right? There's these needs and desires that we have. But because of sin entering the world, uh, it's corrupted a lot of these desires. And certainly we feel them, the temptations with our own lives. 
But we're supposed to be honoring God, Paul says, with our bodies, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, he told to the church in Corinth. So we honor God with our bodies. God has blessed us to enjoy so many things in this life, yet because of sin's corruption, things that God designed to give us joy, they have potential to become our masters again. See, before you and I were saved, Paul described a person of the flesh in Galatians 5, verse 19, they only gave their lives over to whatever they wanted, their body's appetites, their anger, their lust, or whatever it was. Uh, And so he says, now that you are a follower of Jesus, self-control God wants to bring in your life and over our body's desires. 1 Corinthians 6.12, the church was asking Paul questions and saying, all things are permissible. Here's what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 6.12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. All things are permissible for me. I'm a Christian. I'm free. But then Paul says, but not everything is good for you. And even though, he quotes them, I am allowed to do anything. Paul reminds them, but I must not become a slave to anything. Your body's appetites, God has given you and I these desires, these urges, and these, you know, uh, things that were meant to bring joy, sustenance to our life. But when they get out of control, lacking self-control, they become our master and we become the slave to our body's appetites and desires. We say that moderation is important and that would be with food and drink and any other, I guess, uh, a permissible pleasure that God would allow you and I to experience. But when self-control is lacking, the body's desires take over and you and I become enslaved to whatever our bodies are craving and desiring, right? We see it in a couple places. We see it in laziness. Our bodies desire, oh, I just want to rest. I don't want to do things I should do right? I don't want to go to work. I don't want to read my Bible. We see it it, certainly physically. You and I are supposed to honor God with our bodies, and so you need to have some level of, you know, taking care of yourself. But spiritually, most importantly, a lack of spiritual care for your life, a lack of spiritual disciplines in your life, it will lead to broken down walls. So this is where uh, Paul says, like, this is self-control. It's supposed to give you the strength and the ability to curb what your body is dictating your life to live like. Say, no, no, that's not how it works. I get up at this time because I'm disciplined to spend time with God because that's most important. I'm choosing to make healthy choices and not let my body dictate what it wants to do and what its desires are. We see that in laziness. We also see it in gluttony. As uh, Jason Edwards chatting about one of the seven deadly sins, right? Overindulging in the things that God gave us for, uh, for our sustenance, but also for our enjoyment too. Where we, I think we've all had moments like that where we're just like, Man, this is unhealthy, my, you know, kind of cravings that I just continue to allow myself to give into. Having a level of uh, self-control over your body so your body's desires don't become your master. Your body actually works the way it's supposed to, actually, where you're in control, living your life according to what God has said in his word that you and I are to live. The last one is fleshly desires or sexual sins. Uh, you know, when you read through 
the uh, works of the flesh, the first three descriptions of the works of the flesh have to do with the desires of our body in, in a sexual you know, nature way. God's standard, uh, when, it, when we start talking about you know, uh, sexual intimacy with uh, another human being, a man and a woman, is abstinence outside of marriage. That's God's standard. You say like, oh, well, my body has all these desires and stuff. Yeah, but your body isn't your master. Your body is actually meant to serve God, right? Honor God with your body is what Paul told the Corinthian church as they struggled in the same way our culture does today. Abstinence is the only way to honor God with your body in a sexual way outside of marriage. Uh, you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. Read Hebrews 13, verse 4, and check it out. By the way, this would include pornography in a person's life. Well, it's not acting out. It's just visually seeing things. Like, no, uh, what you look upon, what you read uh, about, what you listen to in your music, all of that uh, is, is just kind of fulfilling these cravings of our flesh. And Paul says that we're to produce or we're, we're supposed to practice Self-control, something the Spirit of God wants to produce in our lives. Job said he made a covenant with his eyes. I mean, Job had such integrity. And in Job 31, verse 1, he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a young woman. And he was speaking of in an, you know, an unhealthy, lustful way. He disciplined his life. He was committed to living with integrity. Friends, that takes self-control. It's something that all of us would benefit from saying, hey, body and all your appetites, you're not the master. God's word, the spirit of God dwelling in me, he's the one who dictates what's good and what's toxic in my life. So it's not just our bodies. Here's another area self-control needs to play out in your life and in my life. Self-control with our thoughts. Self-control with what you and I have going on up here. The thought life is the first line of defense in the battle for self-control. Think about it. Envy starts in your thoughts, right? Oh, I wish I had what they had, right? This, this toxic, sinful thing, envy. Oh, gosh, but I never have anything. And gee, look at them. And oh, they never have any problems, right? Uh, greed is, is born there in our thoughts. Lust is born in our thoughts there, right? I know what you're thinking, like, you can't stop a thought from coming in your head, and neither can I. You're just, like, driving down the road. It's like, oh, I'm singing a worship song. You're like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? Where did that thought come from? You ever had that mindset where you're like, I'm not even thinking about this kind of stuff. Uh, it's been said this way, and I think it's appropriate. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, right? Like, I can't stop a thought from flying in my head. But I can stop a bird from making a nest on top of my hair right? So you can control through the power of the Spirit the thoughts that begin to nest, if you would, in your brain. Because left uh, uh, unchecked, it will bring destruction in your life as it will bring in my life. That's why we're called to, as Paul said, take every thought captive and make it obedient 
to Christ. Now, Paul is speaking of, uh, you know, some, some other different scenarios, but the principle is true there. Thoughts that don't honor Jesus Christ, take them captive. Lord, I don't know where that one came from, but I'm not going to let it marinate in the soil of my brain so it begins to actually change the way I think and redirect my life. That's what thoughts do. They're so powerful. Psalm 19, verse 14, David prayed this, may the words of my mouth, and notice this, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It was the thought patterns that David was concerned about. Lord, whatever my mind is musing upon, let it be honorable to you. So important. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he makes it clear, lustful thoughts are the beginning stages of adultery. And so it's sinful in a person's life, says if you look upon another to lust for them in your own heart, you've already committed adultery there. So thoughts are so powerful. But it's not just refusing sinful thoughts to be entertained in our minds, lust or desire for revenge or fuming about some, what somebody's done to you. You know what I mean? This thought that just goes over, oh man, I can't believe that they did this to me. You, my friend, have to take that thought captive because it's very destructive to you. It's not honoring to the Lord uh, if I'm allowing that to just muse in my head, right? But it's also removing these sinful negative thoughts, but it's also putting in good thoughts that are pleasing to the Lord. Paul told the church in, in Philippi, he said, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What a great grid as you think about what you muse upon. What are you thinking about right now? Like those thoughts that pop in and just, oh, get you fired up. Is it honorable? Is it, is it something that, that, you know, is pure? Is it right? Is it lovely? Does it honor the Lord for you to continue to let that thought go on? Is it healthy for you? Man, think about good thoughts. Add those to your life on a daily basis. That's what it means to be in control of your body in this appetites and desires, control of your thoughts. That takes an inner strength, by the way, to redirect your thoughts to things that are good, right, and true and away from the things that are unhealthy. Here's the last area that I think is, boy, so important, man, so important for us as as followers of Jesus is to have self-control over our emotions. Like emotional, you know, to be an emotionally healthy human being. You know, we, we, we have all these wonderful God-given emotions that we, we're, we're supposed to live, you know, life as he, you know, um, you should feel pain, you should feel sorrow, you should grieve, right? You should feel joy and happiness and anger and sadness. Like these are all emotions that God has given us. We're not going to deny these things, but it's how you and I respond respond when those emotions, you know, kind of like, I guess, emerge in our lives. Uh, we People without self-control, they allow their emotions to control their life. Man, get out of the way, right? They, they make toxic choices for their own life. Like, you know, uh, oh my gosh, I'm just so needy and so lonely. And so they chase after anyone that they can attach their, you know, cart to. And then I'll realize like, oh gosh, this is another mess. This is another mess. This is another mess. It's like, no, you can't live your life. Your emotions can't be the driving force of your life. 
In your anger, Paul says, do not sin. Paul told that to the Ephesian church. Uh, Anger is a real and normal emotion that you and I should experience when things make us angry. You know, things that are righteous, right? Like this is wrong. What they did to this person is wrong. What they did to me is wrong. That anger is a real emotion that God has given you. But he said, in your anger, don't sin. Right, I think that we can see um, we can see how anger uh, brings destruction in a person's life when they don't have self control. So they're angry, but now they're just like, you know what, dude? Somebody is going to get it. Uh, bitter feelings, right? Just, I'm wounded and I'm hurt, and I have bitterness within my heart. You allow that to sit there; it will bring destruction, resentment towards somebody else. Here's another one where we just like have this this this. I guess this emotional like state of self-pity. Oh, nothing good ever happens for me, right? We're so inwardly focused. You can't even see what God is doing in your life because you allow that emo- that emo- your emotional life to sort of direct. It's the dominant factor in your life, not the truth of God's word, but oh, self-pity. Oh, this never happens. And gee, look at all these people. It leads to envy and all these things are happening in you know, everybody else's life. Nothing's working out for me. That just, those uh, emotions that you let take over and drive and dominate your life, it brings destruction to you. And, and, and if you're not careful, outbursts of wrath and anger and lashing out, it brings destruction in other people's lives. Look how much value the Bible puts on self-control. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, better to be patient than powerful. Listen to this. Better to have self-control than conquer a city. It is the battle to be won is what what Proverbs is saying is the battle of self-control. That's bigger than the victory over a city of your foes. Self-control. What a... um, I mean, the battle lines are drawn, aren't they? Like, this is an area of your life. If you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit flesh out all the other characteristics, this is the one. Self-control has got to be a place. Say, God, I want self-control. I want to be able to say no to the things that you say no to. I want to say yes to the things that you are asking me to say yes to. So much value on self-control. Self-control it means to have a, a tight rein on your body's appetites, your thoughts, and your emotions, right? Paul knew how important this was. This is so important. It's so vital. There's so much at stake spiritually, emotionally, physically, and also relationally. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.24, you could read it later on, but I'm going to read it for you, and it'll be on the screen today. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. They get a little trophy. They get a little wreath around their head. But we do it, notice, for an internal prize. So I run with purpose every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. I training to it to do what it should. Otherwise, I feel that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. For Paul, the prize was so vital. I'm not going to let my body's appetites, my body's desires to actually dominate my life. I'm going to make it do what it needs to do so that it doesn't trip me up and sin and its temptations trips me up from fulfilling all that God has called me to do. Think about it. Lack of self-discipline 
Lack of self-control has destroyed ministries of people. Lack of self-control has destroyed families, has destroyed marriages. It's brought addiction in people's lives, as well as destruction of people's bodies and their sound minds because of lack of self-control and all the things that they allow their their cravings to desire, they just let it in their lives and lack of self-control, it just ruins so much. But guess what? It all starts with tiny little compromises. A lack of self-control and that moment of impulse, that moment of decision, should I allow this into my mind? Should I allow this into my life? Should I allow this uh, decision to be made by me? Or should I actually ask God, give me power to have self-control? How are you going to grow this in your life? Let me just leave you with this thought. Set your life up to grow. You're doing it right now. You're spending time in the word of God right now with other Christians all over in their living rooms or in their cars right now. You've decided to not watch the Niners lose again. You've decided to not sleep in. You've decided to actually go, I'm gonna have some self-control, not let my body or desires to dictate my life. I'm gonna spend time in the word of God. Keep doing that. Do that on your own as well. Time with your Lord in word, in, in the word of God and in prayer as you spend time also fellowshipping with other believers, the accountability we have with other Christians to say, hey, I'm struggling with self-control. Here's an area in particular I want to see God give me victory over. Set your life up for success so that this can grow and emerge in your life. Discipline in your spiritual life. As Paul talked about these athletes that did it for a small little victory, a little crown, Paul says, man, I'm talking about hearing well done, my good and faithful servant kind of stuff. I'm talking about having... Uh, the, the, the crown, right? Uh, the, the victor's crown as he steps into God's kingdom. He's like, I don't want my body's appetites, temptation, my flesh to trip me up. There's so much at stake. Are you willing, am I willing to do the kind of things discipline-wise that an athlete's willing to do? So they study themselves and their performance to get better. Do you and I study God's word with that same intensity? As they wake up early in the morning to actually eat properly and get their workouts done, do you and I wake up early to spend time with God and his word and make it a priority in our, in our lives? To say, oh, I don't have time. Paul's like, man, what is up with that? He says, I beat my body and discipline it to bring it under control so it ain't the master, uh, it is a servant of mine so I can serve the Lord, I can honor the Lord with my body. We find that, you know, um, out, we find out in those times with the Lord where we're struggling with self-controls. God will say, hey, you know, I noticed that you continue to get so angry with your kids. Lord, I need self-control. You spend time with God. Hey, I notice how short you are with your, uh, with your employees at your place you know, where you work and your business you own. Lord, I need some self-control. Uh, I notice how you are running to a bottle to actually numb some kind of stress. Lord, I need some self-control. Uh, the Lord will speak to us. I notice that you're quick to click open this button or to turn this TV station on just to have some sort of momentary pleasure. That's where an area you need self-control. Sometimes the most self-control choice to make is to run, is to flee. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the youthful desires. 
Flee youthful lusts is what Paul told Timothy. Is that sometimes to have self-control means to run and get away from temptation. Deny yourself a lot as well. Say no to yourself a lot. No, not going to do this. Yes, I'm going to choose this because that's what God wants me to do. You start to feel momentum building in your life. Saying no and denying your flesh becomes easier and easier and easier. Let me ask you this today. Is the Spirit of God in control of your life today? Is your life in an environment for the fruit of the Spirit to grow? Is there some unconfessed sin that you haven't dealt with? The Lord's been knocking on the door of your heart and you just hear him knocking and it's like, you know what? I'm not ready to give that up yet. Has he told you to remove something out of your life and you're you're still kind of in a state of disobedience? If you want to see the fruit of the Spirit, you want to have that fruitful life, man. You and I have to be willing to say, God, you're right, I'm not. Please forgive me. God, give me strength to get this out of my life. Is your life in a place where you're spending time with him in his word? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're disconnected from uh, the vine, as we're the branches, you'll never bear fruit. You will just be trying to live a life for the Lord in your own energy of your flesh and you will fall on your face and you'll live in frustration. But if you and I have an environment where we're spending time in the word of God, time in prayer, really allowing the Lord to search our hearts, you'll find that fruit begins to just grow in your life. And it's such a beautiful thing to see believers living out the the Christian life in the power of the Spirit and, and, and experiencing all that God wants you and I to experience, what Paul talks about here in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. You know what? I'm gonna let you in on a secret. You're gonna fail. This whole self-control stuff, you're gonna fail. You're gonna blow it. Uh, and the good news is, is that we serve a God who's a God of another and a second and a third and infinity chance. First John 1, 9, the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins, uh, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Man, confess it to the Lord. Repent when you need to repent. Say, God, I want this self-control in my life. And God is a God of restoration. We talked about it last Sunday with gentleness. He restores people to get them back to a place where they too can live a fruitful life. Christian, maybe today you need to um, do some soul searching. Maybe you need to do some repenting. Uh, Can I encourage you? Walk in the spirit. He'll lead you into a life of victory over the works of the flesh into a fruitful life. And then maybe, friend, you've joined us today. Here we are talking about living a life where God's in control of our life. How do, how do I get God in control of my life? You know, how, how do I get to a place where God is actually my friend and my savior and my Lord and he's living this life that I long to live through me? Well, it, it comes first by you and I surrendering. Uh, this isn't about trying to be more religious. This is about you surrendering to God and having him live in your life and dwell in your life. We learned that God loved us. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. You and I have broken God's commands. There's no one who's righteous. There's no one who could earn God's love and God's favor. We know that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. So how do you become a Christian? What does it look like? Well, first of all, you realize that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's commands. You and I, all of us have broken God's commands. God, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. You recognize, number two, that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. Number three, you choose to repent of your sin. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and God, I'm going to live a life now that's directed towards you, 
no longer the way I used to live. And then fourth, you receive Jesus Christ into your life. You say, God, come into my life and make me a new person. You know, right where you are, wherever you are, in your car, you could pull over, you're at your home, you're at your desk, you're wherever you are on a walk maybe, Right now, you can stop and you can say, God, I want you to come into my life. God, I, I, I want to tell you I'm sorry for my sin. God, cleanse me of my sin. God, thank you for your love. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new person today. God, help me to do your will from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. You could pray a prayer like that. God's not looking for some magical prayer. There's no magical words. It's just saying, God, I choose to repent of my sin. God, I want you to come into my life and make me new today. And God will do the very thing that you're asking him to do because he loves you and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. You know, uh, this is the wrap up for our series. If you miss any of these, we have it on our YouTube channel. I hope you join us next Sunday. We'll be giving you some more updates on what it's gonna look like moving forward as we get to open up more and more of our church. Again, we're meeting on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. If you want to join us, if you can make it at 9 a.m. at Clovis North, uh, God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Have an amazing rest of your week.